0: Bible's up to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. We are back again to Ephesians chapter five. We are looking this morning at uh, verses uh, 18 through 21. So 5:18 to 21. We're actually making some forward progress. You'd be amazed. So Ephesians 5:18 to 21, where Paul writes, beginning in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay? So, we're back again to this important study, and we are looking... Uh, at these verses together under a series of questions you 'll remember we 're asking and answering a series of questions and they 're designed to help us to understand what it means to live by the Spirit and to live under his influence in our lives. So we have looked at why is this study important?" Secondly, we asked, "Why warn about wine?" Third, we said, uh, "What is the filling of the spirit?" Fourth, how is the filling different from the Spirit's other ministries to the believer? Fifth, we've looked at who does the filling. Sixth, what is the content of the filling? Seven, how do I fulfill this command? And eight, can the filling leak out? That was last week. So, we're back again for question number nine, and this morning... We're going to examine the outward manifestations of a life that is regularly being filled by the Spirit. What does it look like? And the question that we're asking is, is the filling of the Spirit visible? Okay, That's the question we have before the house this morning. Is the, Spirit, is the filling of the Spirit visible? Is it visible? And the answer to the question is yes and no. Yes and No. The actual work of the Spirit in conforming us to the image of God's own Son um, is invisible. It is invisible. But the manifestations of that reality are very much visible and are to be very much visible. To be reminded, Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse 8, the wind blows where it wish, wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. There is that invisible aspect of the work of the Spirit in our lives, for sure. So in that sense, yes, it is invisible. However, however, it is the outward manifestations of that inward reality that are very much visible, very much So, taking a look here at beginning in verse 18, a little bit of grammar, again, just to kind of set the stage. So, grammatically, the main verb, we've said this more than once, the main verb in this section of 18 to 21 is in verse 18, where Paul commands to be filled. Plerao is the verb, to be filled. And that is followed in verses 19 through 21 by five present participles. Five present participles. Participles, participles, and they describe the filling of the Spirit, but they are not the means of achieving it. So they are descriptors of what it means to be filled by the Spirit. So here they are, they're in verse 19. Speaking is the first one. 19 again. Singing is another one. Making melody is your third Giving thanks in verse 20 is the fourth, and being subject in verse 21 is the fifth. So those are the five present participles that derive their force from the main verb in verse 18. So as I say, they are the result of being filled by the Spirit. They are not, they are not the means to achieve being filled by the Spirit. They are the manifestation of it when, it, when it's occurring. So the first four, notice, of these participles have to do with singing and prayer. Singing and prayer. So again, uh, speaking, singing, making melody, giving thanks. Those first four having to do with singing and prayer. And they have to do with the singing and prayer, again, notice this, in the public gathering of the church. In the public gathering of the church. And we see that by the use of one another in verse 19 one another or perhaps even more literally among yourselves among yourselves so we are talking about a public manifestation of the filling by the spirit what does it look like can it be observed yes it can where in the public setting of the church okay in the public setting so the public gathering as we'd say the fifth and final participle here in verse 21 um, being subject to that serves as the bridge. So that's the bridge to the topic of the spirit-filled home that begins in verse twenty-two of chapter five and runs all the way through chapter six and verse nine. So that's our bridge that takes us into what our future studies will be here. Okay. So in all of this, in all of this, the emphasis is not upon individual or private experience. That is not the emphasis here, individual or private experience, but the expression of a, of a life filled by the Spirit in regard to relationship with one another. So it's about being filled by the Spirit, and how does it play itself out in relationships and the relationships of the church. Right? So, in that sense, yes, the Spirit's filling is very visible. Very visible. Because it results in, among other things, worship, gratitude, and humble submission. Okay? Worship, gratitude, humble submission—that is the outcome of a life filled by the Spirit. Now, since Paul describes the Spirit-filled life in terms of these five participles, it be profitable, blah, profitable. If I could speak it, it would be profitable. It would be profitable for us to spend some time and peek into these a little bit, don't you think? So that's what I want to do with you. In the, in the time remaining is I want to look at the being filled by the spirit under these three headings, the headings of worship, gratitude and submission. So worship, gratitude, submission. That's, if you're looking for an outline, there's your outline. okay? Worship, gratitude, submission. So first, worship. Let's talk about worship in addressing the result of obeying the command to be continually filled by the Spirit and its resultant growth in the likeness of Christ, Paul speaks first about the role of congregational singing. He speaks about congregational singing, verse 19. See it? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So, This is the congregational singing, and again, there's a a further division here in that he's viewing congregational singing both horizontally and vertically. So he's looking at it horizontally and vertically. First, horizontally, and then vertically. This is super instructive for us. So he begins with the horizontal aspect of congregational singing. Notice he says, speaking to one another... And then he says, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, psalms. Psalms, the, the word is psalmos, that's the noun, psalms, psalmos, and it, and it means fundamentally to touch the chords of a stringed instrument. Okay? So, to touch the chords of a stringed instrument of a stringed instrument, and when used in the New Testament, when this word is used in the New Testament, it's a reference to the Old Testament Psalms. The Psalter, of the Old Testament Psalter, was the, the songbook of the early church, and is still the songbook of the church today to, to a certain extent. Okay? So, Psalms, to originally, you know, the word to touch the chords of a stringed instrument, it's speaking about Old Testament Psalms being sung. Being sung, they were designed to be sung. Beyond that, he talks about hymns, hymnas, hymnas. And that means a song of praise to God. That's what that word means, a song of praise to God, the word hymnas. Notice how they're coming over right into the English. They're being transliterated and coming right over into the English. And it's generally universal in scope. These are generally universal in scope, and they focus on the attributes of God rather than the personal experience of the believer. So these are... Songs that are, that are spoken horizontally focused on the attributes of God, right? God's attributes, rather than our personal experience with God. Spiritual songs speaks more of our personal experience with God. So, Oda is, Domatakai is the Greek, and, and it comes from the word Ode in the, in the Greek, which means uh, a song. And uh, it flows over to us in English again. we We know what about an ode is, right? We've heard of an ode. So that's speaking of a song. And these are the kinds of songs that are composed in response here to the Holy Spirit's work. So these are songs composed in response to the to the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of the believers, and probably in contrast to what one writer writes says as the crude singing typical of Greco-Roman feasting. Okay, all cultures sing. All cultures sing, and it is not uh, uncommon at all for them to make up songs to express <laughs> their culture. And so when a culture is degraded, its music is degraded. When a culture is lifted up into the presence of God, its music is lifted up to the presence of God. So these are... The spiritual songs, these are the songs composed to celebrate the individual believers' work um, or the spirit's work in the life of the believer. Okay? Now, the three words themselves are used here. Um there's it's hard to make great uh differentiation. So they kind of all Paul combines three together, and it's hard to make hard and fast differences between them. I've given you some general idea of the differences but they, they can't be sharply differentiated in Scripture. okay. However, however their, role, their role in the congregational instruction is quite clear. Their role in the congregational instruction here is quite clear. We're talking about singing to each other, and that provides an instructional role. Notice where Paul says, speaking to one another. We're speaking to one another, and we are speaking of the attributes of God. We are, we are speaking back his word to him through the Old Testament Psalms, and we are speaking to, uh, not to him, I'm sorry, to one another of uh, through the Psalms, through the Psalter, and we are speaking to one another about God's great work of redemption in our lives. Okay? Now, I think if we were to slip over to Colossians chapter 3, we could find there in what I've called the sister book some clarity in this area. So let's go ahead and do that. So slip over to the, to the left and go to Colossians, the book of Colossians. I said to the left, I meant to the right. Yeah, hold up your left hand. The other one. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, Colossians is our sister letter, and so it, it, it can uh, and often does lend some additional clarity to, to what's being talked about here. What I want you to see first, though, in Colossians is uh, how Paul identifies in chapter 1 his ministry. Okay? So look at chapter 1, verse 28. Chapter 1, 28. Paul says, We proclaim him. Christ? We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So Paul defines his ministry as that of admonishing and teaching with all wisdom for the purpose of presenting everyone complete in Christ. That's what drove the Apostle Paul. Now, slide over your eyes to chapter 3 and pick up verse 16, and notice this, where Paul says there, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. We've talked about that a few weeks ago. Notice, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? It should. We just read essentially an identical um, uh, exhortation in in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, but what I want you to to catch here is the the repetition of Paul's ministry model in his uh, statement here in verse sixteen of chapter three. Right, he says in chapter one twenty eight that for him it's admonishing and teaching with all wisdom. That is his ministry. That's what drove him. Now he. He's, he moves to chapter 3 and verse 16, and he's speaking to the church at large, and by extension to you and I, and notice he's using the same kind of terminology. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. We could say be filled by the Spirit with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So in other words, Paul wants us to pick up his ministry and carry it forward carry forward his ministry model, and one place and way we do it is through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, Ephesians, or Colossians 3.16. So Paul worked hard, he says, 129, to teach and admonish so that people might grow to maturity in Christ, and he wants the Christian community to continue with that work. And how? By speaking the truths of Scripture to one another in song. Back to Ephesians chapter 5. How does Paul want the Christian community to continue his work of building the body of Christ? Well, in one way he wants it done is by singing. It is by singing to each other, to one another. And notice again, I just kind of... Briefly mentioned it. Notice in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 5, speaking. Notice the emphasis on speaking. It is because when we speak truth, that's how we grow in the likeness of Christ. We respond to truth, right? The Spirit works when it comes comes in through the mind and down to the heart and then out through the hands. That's how transformation occurs. And so there is an emphasis here on the singing that it be... Uh, speaking, and, and I think what we could say is that the lyrics are important. I think we can deduce that, that the lyrics are important here, very important. So I think we can rightly say that congregational singing is part of disciple-making. Let me say it again. I think we can rightly say that congregational singing is part of the disciple-making process. Is part of the disciple-making process. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't just end with the horizontal, important as that is, and it is. But notice that besides the horizontal, there is a vertical element as well. There's a vertical element, and Paul picks that up in Ephesians 5 in the next two participles where he speaks about a vertical expression of, of worship and praise to God. So there we see it. In uh, the second half of verse nineteen, singing and making melody, melody. Sorry, um, uh, where am I? Uh, With your heart to the Lord. Okay, so singing and making melody. That's uh, that that word there. Making melody, uh, salantes. it, It carries the idea of to sing along with music or even to play with a stringed instrument. Okay, so that's kind of running in the background of that. So we sing to God, we we offer our praise in music to God. Um, Why? Because it is a reflection of what He has done in us. I think we could rightly say we can't hold it back. (laughs) We can't hold it back. It's just going to come out of our hearts. So notice where he says, "...with your heart..." To the Lord. And the Lord here is Christ. With your heart to Christ. So the heart. The heart is the inner human being, the inner human being where Christ dwells. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Christ dwells within the heart. It, It is the inner human being, it is the real you. It is the real you. And it's the aspect of our existence that Paul prays that the Spirit would strengthen. Again, look at chapter 3. verse. He begins there in, um, in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name, that the Spirit would strengthen them in the inner man. In the inner man. And that is the heart. That which offers our expressions of praise to God. The heart's also the faculty of the mind that Paul prays that God would enlighten with his Spirit. So look at his other great prayer in Ephesians here. In chapter 1 and... and um, Beginning here in, um, well, we'll pick it up in verse 15. There Paul is praying that the, that the Ephesian believers might understand the vastness of their blessings in Christ. The vastness of their blessings in Christ. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might." which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Listen, we have a vast treasury of blessing via our union with Christ and Paul prays that we might understand that, that we might understand that, and we would understand it there in the eyes of our heart, he uses that expression, that we might understand it in the deepness of, our, of the reality of who we are. Okay? These are prayers for transformation. Prayers for transformation. So the vertical music, the vertical aspect, back to chapter 5, the vertical aspect of our musical worship is the result of being filled by the Spirit. So, the idea of singing with one's whole being to the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to think about this together a little bit. We put it all together, horizontal, vertical. right? We put it all together. I think we can rightly say, are you ready for this? The state of our soul is revealed in the sound of our voice. I think we can rightly say that the state of our soul is revealed in the sound of our voice. In other words, spirit-filled Christians sing words of praise to Christ and instruction to each other in a heartfelt manner as a result of the Holy Spirit's work through the Scriptures. i say it to you again. Spirit-filled Christians sing words of praise to Christ and instruction to each other in a heartfelt manner as a result of the Holy Spirit's work through the Scriptures. That means, means in terms of congregational singing, the implications here are huge. They are huge. For example... Our songs must be rich in biblical theology. They must be rich in biblical theology in order to turn our focus to the praise of Christ. So we need to sing spiritually rich, theologically profound music to each other and reflecting back to God his, the truth of who He is. Beyond that, it's appropriate to have a variety in terms of tempo and rhythm Melody, instrumentation, and so forth, in order to facilitate the music's role in carrying the praise and instruction of God's people, because that's the purpose of the music. It is to carry the instruction, it serves as the vehicle to carry the instruction. It is not the primary thing, but it is a helpful thing to carry the instruction. Third, we got to get outside ourselves. We've got to get outside ourselves and see our congregational singing as one of God's mandated means to fulfill the one another's. We've got to get outside of ourselves and to see our congregational singing as one of God's mandated means to fulfill the one another's and to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I need to hear you sing. And you need to hear me sing. You may not like it. I do my best. But I need it, and you need it. Because it is a God-ordained means of discipleship. So here's the bottom line. You and I cannot obey Paul's command to be filled by the Spirit, while at the same time refusing to participate, or holding back in the congregational singing. You cannot fulfill Paul's command to be filled by the Spirit and to hold back your singing or to refuse to participate in the singing. That's a non sequitur. Beyond that, singing is an important means for making disciples of your children. It is an important means of discipling your children. Teach your children the songs of the faith. It will encourage them, and you should encourage them, here Sunday morning when we gather to sing, to participate in the singing. Don't allow your children to restrain or or withhold themselves from the singing. Which means you need to do the hard work Monday to Saturday to teach them the songs. So that they're familiar to them, so that they know. I mean, even the ones who can't read can sing. They actually have an amazing ability to memorize music. And so, disciple your children, and singing is one way to do it. Okay? So, singing is very, very significant. Gratitude. That was worship, right? That was the first of the three. Second is gratitude. Gratitude. The fourth participle here, verse 20 always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who God, even the Father. This fourth participle, giving thanks, eucharistontes is the the Greek word, and I only tell you that, uh, I'll tell you why I tell you that in just a second, but you'll see. It, It addresses the outworking of the Spirit filling in terms of the practice of public or corporate prayer. Again, remember, we set the context here, is the public gathering of the church. So this is the outworking of a spirit-filled life in terms of public prayer, corporate prayer, prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of thanksgiving. This is a practice that uh, Peter O'Brien, in his very fine commentary on Ephesians, identifies with the idea of praise. So praise and thanksgiving running very close to one another. So praise and thanksgiving are the normal biblical response to God in prayer for his good gifts. It is the normal response. It is the normal Christian response to be grateful, to be thankful, to praise God for his good gifts to us. And they are the overflow of a heart that has experienced the grace of God. Grace is kerosene. And it is the root of the verb eucharistao, which means to give thanks. So you see how it's, it's bound together here. This idea of giving thanks is, is, uh, that is bound up in the root word charis or grace. Okay? So we give thanks because of the grace of God in our lives. It just flows out of us. It's just who we are. You cut me, I bleed red. You caught me spiritually, I believe Thanksgiving. That's the idea. Now, I want you to notice again here how Paul outlines the comprehensive nature of this thanksgiving. And he outlines the comprehensive nature of it and the result of the Spirit as a result of the Spirit's filling. And in the process, he brings out the triunity of God. So who do we offer our praise and thanksgiving to? We offer our praise and thanksgiving to the triune God. So notice here. The, the comprehensive nature of it. Its frequency. Always. You see it? Verse 20. What's the frequency of our prayers of thanksgiving and praise? Always. That's the frequency. Always. In other words, constantly, regularly. Constantly, regularly. What's the fullness of our thanksgiving and praise? For all things. Again, verse 20. For all things. That includes the good and the bad, as we, what we would call bad. Because why? Well, because God is at work in us, is he not? Conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And we are most conformed to the image of Christ when we are most in a place of difficulty and thus dependent upon Christ in the greatest way. What about the foundation of this comprehensive prayer and praise? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of our prayer. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, based on our union with Him and our sharing with Him by virtue of that union with His exalted position. If we had the time to work our way through chapter 1, in that one long sentence that begins in verse 4 and runs to the end of verse 14, we could see there the, the uh, exalted position of Christ and the union that we share with him, and thus we are co-heirs with him. Right? So that's the foundation of it, it's the work of Christ on our behalf. And the focus is God the Father. Right? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God even the Father. Because he is the ultimate source of all goodness and all grace. I will take you to chapter 1, verse 3, where that's what Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The focus of our prayer is God the Father in the name of uh, Jesus the Son for all that He has done for us in sharing with us through faith, our faith union with His Son, right, adopting us into His family. That faith union makes us co-heirs with Christ joint heirs with Christ. So, one writer writes, those who are filled by the Spirit, quote, should generously and frequently express their thanks to God when they gather with others for worship. Read it again. Those who are filled by the Spirit, quote, should generously and frequently express their thanks to God when they gather with others for worship. For worship. Okay? It should be common among us. Common among us. So we've had worship, we've had gratitude. Third, submission. Verse 21. This is the fifth and final participle. Being subject. Subject. Uh, and it speaks, it's a compound word, we'll deal with it in a second, it speaks with the believer's response to God's ordained authority structures within the home. Again, this is all about the home. right? So it's, it's talking about our response to God's authority structures, God's ordained authority structures. And so the, the, the verb tasso itself is comprised of two words. There's a prefix, a preposition called hupo, which means under, and the verb is tasso, which to arrange or line up. So the idea behind this, in its most basic meaning, is to line up under someone's authority. That's what it's saying. Right? So we could, we could translate verse 21 and line up under the authority of one another in the fear of Christ. That's the most basic meaning of the verb, to line up under authority. Somebody's authority. Somebody's authority. Now, I'm going to have a lot to say about this beginning in two weeks, okay? So you're going to have to hang on. But I want you here to notice a few things, just in passing. The action of subordinating ourselves to God's ordained authority structures is a result of being filled by the Spirit. It is a result of being filled by the Spirit. But the motivation, look at the rest of the verse, the motivation for this is our fear or awe or reverence of Christ, who is the Lord and coming judge, right? and being subject to one another, notice it, in the fear of Christ. In fact, we can, I think with confidence, say this, that one way the Holy Spirit enables us enables us to fear or reverence Christ is by pressing upon us through the Scriptures His position as the Father's exalted ruler. He is the Father's exalted ruler. Again, look back to chapter 1 beginning in verse 20, middle of the verse, when He raised Him, when the Father raised Him, the Son from the dead, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. That's kind of a comprehensive way to say these things. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So that kind of lays it out, right? Christ is Lord of all. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave His head over all things to the church and so forth. As such, as such, Christ has the authority, Christ has the wisdom, and Christ has the prerogative to mandate the interactions of authority and submission. Let me say it again. Because he is the exalted one, he is Lord of all. <coughs> Pardon me, therefore, he has the authority, he has the wisdom, and he has the prerogative. To mandate the interaction of both authority and submission, and that's what he's going to do. (coughs) Pardon me. (coughs) Okay. Sorry about that. Okay, let's talk about a little bit about application. Just a little bit about application. We'll kind of tip the hand here just a little. I got a lot more to say. A lot more to say about the interplay between loving biblical authority and God-honoring submission. Like weeks and weeks and weeks of things to say about this. But for now, I want to make one simple, overarching observation. One simple and overarching observation. (coughs) Think with me. As the believers in in Ephesus, they gather together to hear this letter read. The church gathered. He gathered in a home. He gathered to hear this letter read. And that what they would have heard is they would have heard the Apostle Paul address, in turn, each group common to a first-century household. Each group common to a first-century household. And he would be addressing each one, in turn, with regard to what it means to be filled by the Spirit. What does that look like in each household? Individual relationship. So what do we see? He addresses husbands. He addresses wives. He addresses fathers. He addresses children. He addresses slaves and he addresses masters. And he does it in turn. So he's making application to all the various constituencies that gather in the church in a home. As they responded in faith to his Command to be filled by the Spirit. Their homes would have become both a place of private disciple making that perfectly complements the public environment of the corporate worship. In other words, we'll just say it this way: Monday through Saturday, they are. They are working on these things of of um, pursuing Christ and being filled by the Spirit, and that is transforming them. And then as they gather publicly for worship they have opportunity to instruct one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody and so forth okay so you, you see there's a private public aspect but it's all kind of wrapped together around this house church setting now <clears throat> you combine the private the public rather display of spirit-filled life hold on i got time You combine the the private display of a spirit-filled life (coughs) with the numerous commands to hospitality that occur throughout the New Testament, and the local church becomes an evangelistic hothouse. The local church becomes an evangelistic hothouse in which the ministry of the gospel begins to flourish. That's how it spreads. That's how they took over the Roman Empire. This beloved is why the elder, well, the Paul commands the elders have to be hospitable. Right, First Timothy three two, Titus one eight. They have to be because it's within the confines of their homes that they demonstrate obedience to the command to be filled by the Spirit. And then, as people gather in their home with them, that obedience is put on public display, and and the believers understand what it means for a mature man and woman to walk. Yeah, in the spirit, to use Galatians' language. Okay? So you, you see how these things wrap together. Okay? The home is critical. The home is critical for the display of a spirit filled life. Which means that when we hold ourselves back from one another and our home environments, we don't, in other words, we don't allow people in, inside the, the, the keep. <laughs> then we can create a, a Sunday illusion of spiritual reality that perhaps is not quite there Monday through Saturday. But when we invite people into the keep and put our lives on display, uh, they can see our progress in faith, and uh, they can also encourage us in areas where we need to, to um, exert more effort in, our, in growing in the likeness of Christ. And we them. So we have that back and forth, um, mutual accountability and encouragement. Okay? That all making sense to you? All right. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time.